Welcome to the Physician Grind Podcast. Hi, everyone. On today's episode, we have a brand new contributor, Marie McMillan. Marie is a critical care nurse, writer, and creator of the Head to Toe podcast, where she shares stories from the history and future of healthcare. Check out her website at headtotoe.podbean.com. That's H-E-A-D-T-O-T-O-E. For more information about her, check out the show notes. And with that said, here we go with the episode. So my name is Marie McMillan, and I'm a critical care nurse. I work in a cardiac ICU in a major urban metropolitan medical center in the Northwest. And uh, I'm also a podcaster, which is why Zaheer and I are our new best friends. So thank you for having me on the show. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, yeah, right. Very cool. Um so this is so yeah um like you're saying I've I've taken care of lots of people I've been um my 8 year nursing career now I've 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 heralded a lot of people to meet their maker um some messier than others of course um and and I've heard through the grapevine you know you know about some patients near death experiences or if they're lucky enough to like have one of those and come back to life and are ambulating and talking later um but but not often usually through word of mouth and you know things I read and and books um, but never really as firsthand and as vivid as the story that this patient that I took care of um, told me kind of at the end of her hospital course. So she was, or is rather, a middle-aged woman, and she had a planned cardiac surgery. It was either um, coronary bypass or some sort of valve replacement, but it was, um, you know, traditional sternotomy, put on the bypass machine, weaned off, closed up, and then sent back up to the cardiac ICU for recovery, which is kind of how we do it. Um, so, um, this, so this woman's in surgery. Again, it's a planned surgery. So she had some sort of um, disease process, got worked up, and they decided, that, okay, you need some surgery. And she had her date set, and she came in the hospital at like 5 o'clock in the morning, Got went through pre-surgery, and then went to the operating room. And at that point, um, the family is uh, usually escorted to our ICU waiting room where they can get updates. And um, I was selected to be the nurse that recovered that patient that day. Um, it takes kind of a lot of training and experience to get to the point where, uh, as an ICU nurse, you kind of take over for the anesthesiologist. And it's nerve-wracking, but also way cool, and I like doing it. And <laughs> that's, that's one of the reasons why I keep working in, in cardiac ICU. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. It's cool stuff. So to set myself up for success, I usually like to go out into the waiting room to introduce myself to the family before the patient comes back to say, hi, I'm going to be the nurse taking care of your person. And things are going to be kind of crazy in the beginning. You know, you got to give us about 30 minutes to do a handoff and get everything set up right. And and then once I get kind of settled a little bit, we'll bring you back. You know, they'll be on a ventilator. They'll have a tube, you know, kind of go over all those things. So that way it's not like they just walk in and they're like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> they told me, but I wasn't ready for it, you know. So, um, so I meet this woman's husband and he is very nice, you know, appropriately nervous, but um, is telling me the story all about how they met and how they got married and just wonderful guy click right away. And I was like, okay, this is gonna be great. Um, and so she rolls out a surgery and the OR team is giving the ICU team a handoff and it like maybe, maybe two minutes in to the anesthesiologist telling me what drugs he gave, she goes into VFib. And the surgeon right away says, okay, let's stop. I'm going to start chest compressions. And, you know, we go straight into ACLS and we get the defibrillator charged up. Um, we shock her. Okay, she's back. 
So she comes back pretty quickly. And that was just the first time this woman died. So she ends up being really unstable for the recovery period. And I take care of her through the rest of my shift. I come on the next day and I take care of her. And and she ended up coding again the second day, shocked her, came back. And the poor husband was there at the bedside for the second go around. And he's just kind of distraught and everything. And we're like, you know, sometimes things happen. You know, this is the reason. You know, we're, we're doing all the things that we all normally do. You know, we sit down with patients and families and we're, you know, sometimes things don't go the way we want them to. But, you know, we're going to do everything we can. They're in the right spot, you know. And he's not blameful at all. He's very thankful. You know, he's yeah, appreciative. He's holding her hand. He's like, he's like, you know, number one patient family member. Uh-huh. And okay. So yeah, that was the second time she died. And I remember that day because we ran out of code carts that day. It was the weirdest thing. Like two other people were coding at the same time. And then she started to tank and I stuck my head out the hallway and I said, can somebody go find another crash cart? <laughs> somebody to go upstairs, grab a cart, come back down and thankfully we had the pads on right in time (laughs) that was the second time i love those days when we run out of code carts i mean it just means that there's just so much going on so much action right yeah i think i think one of the nurses i work with took a picture of the hallway where it was like there were six of them just trashed in the hallway right so there's the three empty ones and then the three new ones for central sterile so it was like this weird parade of red carts (laughs) (laughs) it's strange Okay, so um, so this woman ends up having a hospital stay that's over 60 days, at least. She has cardiac arrest several more times. Um, we have to open her chest at the bedside at two different occasions for cardiac massage. So as an IC nurse, that means you start CPR, pour iodine everywhere, find a 10 blade and get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you have suction set up. Yeah. So that happens on two different occasions. Um, she ends up on VA ECMO. She uh, gets a tracheostomy. She is put on a ventilator and she is just really sick for a really long time. And her husband, um, again, so nice and thankful of staff and, you know, always visiting her, but also, you know, going home and like, it gets to the point where like, we just kind of really bond with this husband and he's, he's just been so, so great and at her bedside and appropriate and, you know, palliative care gets involved and they kind of start talking about goals of care, but she survives. She gets better. She decannulates from ECMO. She weans off the ventilator. She gets to the point where her trach is decannulated and they finally sew her chest back up um, in the operating room and close her initial sternotomy that was open again for a really long time and um she gets she just gets better and um i I come to work one day and they're like hey you know you're a favorite patient she's finally on on a rehab floor she's out of the icu and i was like wow I got to go meet her because I never like actually got to talk to her, you know? So, but her husband kept coming down and visiting the ICU staff. Yeah. It's so amazing. Think- we, we spend so much time with patients taking care of them when they're intubated and not even conscious that we form our own personal relationship with them. That's totally different than when they're awake and alert and talking to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes that's why, like, if patients come back and visit us, like, you'll recognize the family member, but you won't recognize the patient. <laughs> like, I was in this room and you're like, you look great. But so I so I go up to a, a different floor where where she's she's in her bed. She's opening her eyes. Her her tracheostomy is sewn up. Her You can see the, you know, the derma bond on her chest where everything's sewn up. She, she looks black and blue, but she's opening her eyes and she's breathing on her own. 
and her husband's at the bedside and her husband looks at me and gives me a big hug. And then he points at his wife and he points at me and he goes, you almost gave her a heart attack. And I was like, nod my head like, yeah, uh huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You almost, <laughs> you had me quite sweaty there. Probably, probably in rapid AFib myself those first two <laughs> days. So, um, so I meet her. I said, it's so nice to meet you. I'm so glad that, you know, you've recovered and, you know, you, you look like you're doing great. I know you don't feel great. You know, now that you're awake, you probably feel like a, a truck ran over you. But, you know, and she was like, you know, it's great to meet you. Thank you for taking care of me. Um, and can I share a story with you about how I died and came back to life? And I said, well, sure, of course you can. Okay, part two of the story. So she starts to tell me um, about her relationship with her mother-in-law, the husband's mother. Now, while she was out, and by out, I mean, you know, critically ill, hooked up to an ECMO circuit and a bunch of lines and drains in her and a bunch of drugs pumped into her and her chest cracked open to the point where you can kind of see her heart beating a little bit. So that's what I mean by out for lay people out there. I think that's as out as you can get, right? It pretty much is. I have seen awake people in ECMO, but not... Not many. Um, so she says, well, while I was out, I had this experience. And she starts telling me about her relationship with her mother-in-law. Now, while she was out, and, you know, we all knew the husband, um, he had communicated to us that his mother was having health problems while his wife was in the ICU. You know, she's elderly. She's not really not doing well. And, and during her long hospital stay, the patient's hospital stay, her mother-in-law ends up passing away. And the husband says, you know, to staff, you know, I'm dealing with this and this is happening in a different country and he's had to be like on the phone. It's just like, like the worst few months of this guy's life. And he's, he told staff, you know, my mother passed away. Um, if for some reason she wakes up or whatever, you know, we're just, we're not going to tell her, you know, until she really gets better because it's just going to stress her out. And, you know, the last thing she needs to be doing is mourning while she's trying to breathe. So, you know, we all agree. We're like, okay. It's one of those weird situations you kind of have to tiptoe around, but, you know, it's at his request, we think it's appropriate, you know, so obviously we're going to go with it. And so fast forward, you know, she gets better. I'm up visiting her on the rehab ward and she's telling me she remembers going into surgery and then she remembers being kind of out and having this experience and then waking up and seeing her husband. And when she woke up and saw her husband, the first thing she says is, when did your mom die? And her husband says, who told you that? We weren't supposed to tell you that until you got better. And the wife says, well, I saw her. That's how I know. And she begins to, you know, she's telling me this, like a nurse that she met today, just, you know, that I took care of. And she says, you know, I'm not really a religious person. I'm not really a spiritual person necessarily, but my mother and I, my mother-in-law and I really got along and she was sick for years, just elderly and sick and kind of suffering. And she's like, I don't really pray, but I always prayed that, you know, she would just die in her sleep and that it would kind of end her suffering and, you know, she would be at peace. And it just kind of went on and on. And she was, then I had had the surgery. Um, so she remembers going into surgery and then waking up and being in this place. She says, I can't really describe it. You know, I was in this place, this otherworldly place that I knew wasn't the world that I belonged in. And she remembers seeing her mother-in-law walking up to her and that her mother-in-law looked radiant and beautiful and young and healthy. And she walked up to her and they didn't even need to say anything to each other that her mother-in-law made some sort of motion with her hand and like a, like, 
a hand motion down. Like you have, like, like you're going to tell a dog to sit almost, you know, mm-hmm. and she made this hand motion that you have to go back down. It's not your time yet. You have to go back down. And then she says she remembers waking up and seeing her husband and saying, what happened to your mom? When did your mom die? Who told you that? And then she says, I prayed for years for her to just die in her sleep. And I always wondered, you know, why, why is she just allowed to continue to suffer? And she says, I know now that there was this other plan that she was supposed to pass away while I was out and while I was really sick so she could be in the afterlife and see me and tell me to come back and get better, that it wasn't my time yet. She said, waking up now, I understand that that's, that's why she had to suffer so long because that was going to be her job. And I was just, like you said, I had goosebumps, I had chills. It's just like, and I think maybe because having a patient tell you firsthand what happened to them in the afterlife makes you believe it a little bit more. You know, you always read things, you hear things through other people. Oh, yeah, this one time this patient told me, but this woman who I had seen the inside of her chest cavity was telling me this this story about that she had this experience she had and she said take 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 it as you will but you know that's that's what happened to me and that's the, you know I said okay I have to go back and so I came back and now I hurt everywhere and I need to get better <laughs> and and then her husband you know at that point is in tears and we're hugging and um I said you know thank you for sharing that with me you know do you mind if I if I tell you know some of my colleagues that because we all took care of you she said of course of course I'm going to come back and tell it to you again I said okay you walk back through our ICU hallway when you're walking she said I'll do that and then sure enough a couple months later she's she got her walker but she's walking down our hallway and we're we're all just like astonished you know we all remember the husband the husband's beaming you know they're walking hand in hand down the hallway with the walker and she was there for some appointment in some other building and yeah, she, she reiterated the same story to people and we're all just like goosebumps and chills and she did really good. She was walking, she's breathing on her own, probably on some massive cardiac cocktail of medicines, but you know, she's, she's living and she's squeezing the juice out of life. And that was just a really powerful story. You know, um, like you said, I, 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 I usher a lot of people to the end of their lives and to their makers, but, you know, you don't, we don't really get to hear about what happens after that. So it was kind of really unique and cool to hear somebody kind of go there and come back and report back, you know, and it's probably different for everybody, but I really like what she had to say. So sometimes, you know, working in medicine, it gets to a point that there are times that you're like, it's really, it's not up to us. You know, we, there are times that you just, you can do everything for somebody who should survive, like, the 40-year-old dad with three kids who randomly goes into V-fib arrest and you code him for an hour and a half and he doesn't make it versus, like, the 85-year-old with umpteen million chronic conditions who, like, you code for 45 minutes and ends up walking out the hospital five days later. But, you know, sometimes I got to chalk it up, you know, we don't, it's not up to us at the end of the day sometimes, you know, there's, it's not up to us always. You can do what we can, but call it what you will, it's sometimes out of our hands. So. And this wraps up another episode of the Physician Grind podcast. If you like what you heard, please give us a rating and a review. The Physician Grind podcast is a forum where healthcare providers can share stories. If you have a story you'd like to share, email us. Our contact information is in the show notes. Thanks for listening.